Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 444. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 444. Our first sponsor thank you goes to Farmers Web. Farmers Web software makes it simple for flower farms to streamline working with their buyers. By lessening the administrative load and increasing efficiency, Farmers Web helps your farm save time, reduce errors, and work with more buyers overall. Learn more at farmersweb.com. Today's first guest has been on my wish list for a few years, basically since she joined Slow Flowers and I became familiar with her business, Alchemy Farm Flowers. I'm so happy today to introduce you to Ingrid Koivu Kangas, environmental artist, flower farmer, floral designer, educator, and innovator. As you will hear in our conversation, Alchemy Farm Flowers is based on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia, a destination that's sandwiched between Vancouver Island to the west and the San Juan Islands in the U.S. to the east. It's reached via car ferry or float plane, and I am mesmerized by the videos and photographs I've been looking at at Salt Spring Tourism's website, of which I'll share a link in today's show notes. Meeting Ingrid virtually only makes me more eager to visit her in person. Here's more about Alchemy Farm and its owner. Alchemy Farm is situated on 10 acres in the beautiful Burgoyne-Fulford Valley on Salt Spring Island. The property was once part of the historic 200-acre George and Kate Furness Homestead, which was first settled in the 1880s. Alchemy Farm is owned by award-winning environmental artist Ingrid Koivikangas and Robin Logan, a retired UK homeopath and woodsmith. Both are creatives, healers, and dreamers. The couple married on the winter solstice, and they believe in love and magic, hence their chosen farm name, Alchemy Farm. Ingrid and Robin's stewardship of this magical property is rooted in their deep love for the earth and nature— of becoming self-sufficient, living in harmony with all beings, and providing safe habitat for bees and pollinators. From the Alchemy Farm fields, there's a spectacular view of Mount Maxwell towering over the Fulford Valley. Eagles circle overhead, choruses of frogs serenade from the mini ponds. The original hedgerows planted by early settlers still mark the boundaries of the property along the eastern and western edges. The orchard is rich with apple, pear, plum, and cherry trees. 
Blackberries drape over decaying fences. The land is awake with potential as its stewards continue to create a sustainable flower farm, an oasis of healing. The farm produces gorgeous flowers in tune with the seasons, grown without chemicals or pesticides, to provide safe homes and food for pollinators, plus flowers for humans to enjoy. Ingrid teaches flower workshops to businesses, groups, and private students, incorporating botanicals harvested directly from her gardens. She created the Alchemy Flower Music Garden Tour as an environmental art exhibit that connects visitors to the music created from the bioenergy of flowers. We're going to talk a lot more about that in in today's episode. It's a magical experience. Those who visit the seasonal farm stand can shop for flowers, jams, fruits, and vegetables from May to September. Alchemy Farms online shop offers dahlia tubers, seeds, and other products. So visit DebraPrinzing.com to see photos of Ingrid, Alchemy Farm, and the flowers, and the music garden. We'll also share links to the new Bee Garden School course that she's offering, and to a beautiful video of the farm where you can hear sounds from the music garden tour. So let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I'm so excited today to be introducing you to Ingrid Koivukangas of Alchemy Farm Flowers on Salt Spring Island in British Columbia. Hi, Ingrid. Hi, Deborah. I was just going to say how pathetic that I we're like, we share a border, but we can't be together. So um, I wish I could be there with you, but I'll have to come up and visit this summer. Oh, I'd love to have you come and visit us here. Well, uh, give us a snapshot of, of Alchemy Farm Flowers and also Salt Spring Island. I, I've never been there, but I've heard it's just a really magical place. Salt Spring Island is a beautiful place. Um, we're a small Gulf island. We're um, very close to the American San Juan Islands. We can see them from our harbor. Wow. Um, our island is full of um, farms of all kinds, of all kinds, both vegetable and flower. And our population is about 12,000 people year-round, and then that doubles in the summer. How do you get there? <laughs> That's my question. Uh, to, to get there from Seattle, you can either take a float plane um, to Victoria and then another float plane to Salt Spring Island. You can take the Anacortes Ferry or you can take the Port Angeles Ferry as well to Victoria and then take another ferry to Salt Spring Island. So you're really um, – you're you're kind of intrepid if you live there year round, I would imagine, because it's, it's, it's remote. Well, it's remote, but you know, by float plane, we're only 20 minutes, 25 minutes from downtown Vancouver. Wow. And probably about 35 minutes from Seattle. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. You're not remote. That's just in my mind. Um, But it feels remote. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what you want, right? You want that kind of harmony with nature and, and getting away from the high rises of Vancouver. That's correct. Yeah, we can get there anytime we want. Well, how long have you lived on Salt Spring Island, and when did you start Alchemy Farm Flowers? I've been on Salt Spring Island for 11 years. I'm one of those people who came for a weekend and fell in love, and within 24 hours, I'd rented a house and given up my apartment and studio in Vancouver, and five weeks later, I was living here. Goodness. Yeah, and then I met my, my husband here. And we bought this property five years ago. That's amazing. So uh, give me a snapshot of Alchemy Farm Flowers now, and then we'll talk a little bit about your, your journey there. <laughs> sure. Um, we're, um, 
The farm has gone through many changes over the five years. When we started the farm, we didn't know what we were doing. We just started, I started planting flowers because I wanted to grow flowers for bees and pollinators. Mm. And that evolved into a flower delivery business and doing weddings. And then two years ago, I was in a car accident and recovering from a, I'm recovering from a concussion. Mm, and I could no longer do the stressful work of flower deliveries and weddings. But you're still growing. Yes, I'm still growing, still growing um, flowers for bees and pollinators. Um, we sell flowers in our farm stand. I do flower deliveries. I'm starting to do flower deliveries on special occasions like Mother's Day. And in the meantime, I'm doing flower workshops and garden tours. And so the um, the charm of a farm on an island already is you know alluring enough. And so I'm imagining that you're getting tourists and then also maybe destination weddings that in the past have driven your design business is that accurate yes i think that's correct we have a lot of tourists visiting here um last summer when the gardens were open for tours we had visitors from as far away as um europe and many people from the united states mm. including texas and new york and then across canada so since your concussion, have you been able to continue designing for weddings or is that something you've had to let go? I've, I've just let go of it. Mm -hmm. there, there are a lot of um, other flower people here and they do a great job with weddings. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to get local flowers. I'm sure that in a lot of cases, people are having to take a, you know, bring a carload of flowers on the ferry to Salt Spring. Um, is that, I mean, are they buying from, able to buy from you direct or... Um, actually, that does happen. People do arrive here with, with flowers, not realizing that you can actually buy flowers here on Salt Spring Island. We sell flowers by the bucket. Wow. And um, But there's other flower growers that do as well. So there's sort of a little cottage industry. If you, if you take the time to look and inquire, rather than showing up with your imported flowers that you bought at the wholesaler. Oh, yeah, I hate seeing that. <laughs> well, it probably happens a lot to anybody on the island, probably with food, too. Uh, yes, that's correct. But we have a lot. We have um, two farmer's markets here. Well, our Saturday market is quite famous, and it's artisans and farmers. Um, and then on Tuesdays, we have a local farmer's market, mm. mostly vegetables, but some flowers as well. So what is your season, Ingrid, in terms of, um, like, your growing season? What are you able to you know, what do you harvest first and how long are you able to go in, in the fall? Well, we, the hellebores start blooming in January. Wow. And so those are our earliest blooms. And then when ranunculus, anemones, um, the usual kind of spring flowers. Yeah. And then in June, late May, early June, depending on the weather, um, the roses start blooming. And I have 85 different rose mm. plants here, mm. and they bloom, they're continuous bloomers, so they're blooming into October, November. Wow. And then we have the dahlias, and um, those are our big summer flower, and into fall. And if we're really lucky and it's not raining a lot, we have dahlia blooms into November. Wow. And so is everything in the field, or do you have some cover? Are you undercover in some of those with some um, of those crops? So we have a high tunnel, and ranunculus and anemones go in there for early early blooms, as well as vegetables. And I do a lot of interplanting. And then we have what we call the show garden, which um, 
was my original cutting garden, and that's where I do the garden tours. And there's over 120 different types of flowers that grow in that area. And then we also grow um, in, in, in the field as well. Well, the show garden sounds like it's evolved to become kind of a signature element of Alchemy Farm because um, it's you're you're more, you're open to the public frequently, and and that's what people see when they come versus like strolling in the in the production fields, right? Uh, correct. the 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 show garden is one of my favorite parts of Alchemy Farm because of my background as an environmental artist. My work has always been about connecting people back to nature. And so with the show garden, um, people come here for tours. And while they're here, uh, they get to listen to the music of flowers. And it's actually the music of flowers created with the bioenergy of the flower plant itself. Yeah, this fascinated me when, you, when we talked recently about how you were able to use technology to help people engage with flowers in a different way. I knew nothing about this. So give, give us a little bit more of a, of a explanation of, of how you let people hear flowers. Sure. Um, my husband gave me a device for Christmas called music of the plants and it's made in Italy. And what it does is um, it connects to the plants, to the roots and to the leaf. And then it actually takes the energy of the plant and converts it into musical notes so that every flower has a different song. It's really quite amazing. And then when people come to the gardens, I will bring the device out to show them how it works. I didn't at first. <laughs> people didn't believe me that I didn't write the music. <laughs> and so I started bringing it out just to show people that it actually is, that is the, the sound of the plant. So is there like a, like a sensor different. or something that you put into the soil? Or where does that reader there's a probe that goes into the soil at the plant's roots and then a clip that clips onto the leaf and then what happens is that the device registers the energy going from the roots to the leaf and then converts that energy into musical notes and every flower has a unique song and so when people come to the gardens they can scan a qr code and then that QR code allows them to listen to the music of that flower that I've pre-recorded. That is insane. Now you oh, it's incredible. Now you said that you had about two hundred varieties in the show garden. Um, roughly, how many musical clips can people listen to? Um, I have recorded so far about seventy musical clips, and there's about thirty-five of them available in the garden. And and how long are they? Just like maybe a they're, few seconds. They're each three minutes. Oh my goodness. That and is amazing. The, the, the tours are two hours, and so people can take as long as they want at different plants. So is this become a, a vehicle for mainly for education, or are you able to kind of treat this as a, a, a facet of like agritourism and, and charge admission? Um, we charge admission, and so it's a, it's a wonderful way for us to engage the public. I get to share with visitors um, the importance of buying local flowers. I explained to them that flower that the flowers in in traditional stores are are coming are not local. Mm -hmm. They're grown and flown in, and they're full of chemicals and pesticides. Most people are shocked. They had no idea that their flowers were coming from so far away, and so it's educational as well as experiential. So people get to experience flowers in a completely different way. 
How frequently are you opening up the tours? Because I'm sure that takes a lot of your energy because you're kind of a spokesperson for the farm, right? That's that's correct. And so last year, um, because I was still recovering from the concussion, I found it quite exhausting. I bet. So yeah, it was it was really exhausting, especially trying to remember all the names of the flowers. Because as we do the tour, people were asking me questions about the different kinds of flowers that were growing there. And so this year, I'm going to set it up more like a museum tour, where it'll be self-guided. Mm. Mm-hmm. I meet people at the gate to welcome them to the farm, um, share with them about local flowers and why they're important to to um, why it's important to support local growers. And then they'll be off into the gardens themselves. I love it. That's actually great because that's, well, it's just that whole idea of having one project that will then kind of continually refresh itself without you having to touch every customer. So you know, just, sustain, just sustaining your, your own health is really important. And, and this seems like a good, good compromise. People are probably fine self-guiding through there, right? I think, I think some of them prefer it. What I noticed was that in every group that came through, there'd be maybe a third to a half of the group that would kind of slowly disappear. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be me too. And, and so, um, but I know that other all, all the flower farmers who are listening understand how exhausting it is and how little energy you have yeah. to be sharing it that way with people. So to be able to automate it, um, just really makes sense. Yeah, it makes it much more doable. So this you debuted the tours last in 2019, right? Correct. Okay, so roughly how many people came through on the tours um, last season? Um, probably a hundred people. Great. Yeah, and yeah, we were only open for a few weeks. We opened in conjunction with um in, with uh, Canadian Flowers Week. Oh right, yeah. And so that was, and this year we'll be doing something as well for International Flowers Week. We do every year for Canadian Flowers Week. Right. Okay. And, and, and so we were only open for the tour from July till September and only one or two days a week. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Um, do you mind me asking you how much you charge for those tours? We're charging $25. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I charged less last year, but for the amount of work that's involved, um, and having to hire someone to help, I had to raise the rates to $18 to $25. Yeah. And what I did was I made the tour longer so people could spend longer in the garden. You know, it's pretty comparable to going to like, I don't know, a zoo or an art museum or a botanical garden. So I mean, I feel like the people are, are comfortable, comfortable with that level of admission right, rate and admission price. So, well, and, and they're, they're helping support the farm. Yeah. Yeah, and I and they and I and I thank them for that. And when they're there, and after they do the tour, are they are the people ask if they can purchase flowers, or do you have your stand open for the for them to sell or purchase? We, yeah, we usually have our farm stand open, and we have flowers, and we have jams, and uh, fruits and vegetables as well for people to purchase. That sounds wonderful. I love it. It's a really great experience. Well, I think there's something that you talked about just uh, it, uh, just caught my attention when you said, you know, your initial welcome, you explained to people about where flowers come from and whether um, local, you know, that perhaps imported flowers are, you know, treated with chemicals in their growing process or in their shipping process. When you are educating people about bees, <laughs> I, I guess that's sort of the under, the, the subtext of that is you have to be an organic flower farmer if you want to have a habitat for bees, right? 
Yes, that's correct. And we are organic. We use no no chemicals or sprays of any kind here. Right. But that, I mean, that message gets connect. The p- consumer or attendees get connect that message then if oh, they... Oh, sure. Yes. And I, and I also talk about their home gardens and how important it is not to use products like Roundup. Right. Yeah. Right. And most people, most people don't know. They just don't know. I, I agree. It takes, it takes people like you out there talking one-on-one to personalize the story just to sh- shift the thinking of, uh, you know, an average non-gardener, but maybe someone who loves nature and thinks they are really connected to the earth. But this has somehow fallen through the cracks, this whole idea of commercial cut flowers and what that means. Yeah. Wow. So tell us a little bit about you talked about going to uh, Salt Spring Island on vacation and kind of falling in love with the place. And I just love that story um, that that you were at a point in your life where you could make this radical decision to change where you lived and how you know what your lifestyle was. Were you working as an environmental artist when that all happened? I, w- I was working as an environmental artist and I was also a professor in Vancouver at a local college teaching fine art. So, and so I gave up my job, my studio, my apartment, everything. Wow. I, I was 100% all in. Wow. And um, and then when I got here, I was going, uh-oh, what have I done? Right, because you were trained as a fine artist, and probably you loved gardening, but it wasn't like it, you had farming training per se, right? I had no, I had no farming experience. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really, uh, now I understand, I had no experience growing flowers either. Hmm. And, and so it was, I really hit the ground running, um, when we, when we first bought the farm because there was nothing here, there were no beds. There was, we, we've created all, all the infrastructure here as well as learning how to grow all the different types of flowers. Do you feel like you had to maybe redefine yourself as, I mean, like, did you set your your work as an artist aside while you've got the farm established and now they've come back together or like, how did, how did you balance all that? Well, I actually, because of the way I work as an environmental artist, I work really deeply with sites. And so that's what I did here, but I, but I did it in a different way. I reached a point in my art practice where I was feeling this deep pull towards the earth to actually working with the earth and I didn't know how that was going to manifest. I didn't know I was going to move to Salt Spring Island and start a flower farm. I just knew that I needed to um, work directly with the earth mm. and mm-hmm. in one place. Because in my art practice, what I do is I'm invited to different places to create work in response to the place. And I don't know what I'm doing before I go. I do know research. I work with dreams and intuition and messages I receive from the site. And then I create a whole new body of work while I'm there, usually in between seven and 14 days. So you're kind of, uh, had been an itinerant artist in a way, like you would go Correct. from site to site and um, do site-specific installations, but then you left and, and that that site wasn't in your life anymore, right? And that you were trying to maybe change the way you related to a piece of land. Yes, I, I wanted to... When I initially moved to Salt Spring Island, I had just come back from teaching a workshop in Japan in environmental art, and I really wanted to, I've been traveling a lot in my practice, and I really wanted to put down roots somewhere. 
And so when I moved to Salt Spring, my, my original idea was to bring people here for environmental art workshops. And then through a series of moldy houses and getting sick from that, I, um, that idea has turned into alchemy farm and flower workshops and teaching people about the importance of connecting to nature through flowers. Mm. And okay. so, so the, we, the wellness subtext is there as well. Yes. And so we say here that the island chooses people and I feel like the island chose me and the island had its own idea about <laughs> how my work was going to manifest. And it was a much better idea than what I planned. But I think it's pretty interesting that you said when you finished that project in Japan, you were kind of open to something. You just didn't know what it was. So maybe subconsciously that trip to the to Salt Spring Island was you were seeking. Oh, I was definitely. Yes. Oh, and I, and I, think that, I think it's so important that when we uh, when our intuition kicks in and we get the intuitive thought that we need to take some action, that we take it. That we just jump in because I, I think that our, our higher selves, the universe, whatever you want to, whatever term you want to use, um, has, has um, I don't know, I guess maybe a better idea of what can manifest in your life than maybe you have. Oh, I believe that. I think yeah. that, that, is, that is just the challenge, I think, as like hardwired humans that we just stop trying to control everything <laughs> and we... Oh. we Give ourselves time. Pardon? And trust. Yeah. Trust that you're going to be okay. So that piece of pie of your livelihood now, what is that going to look like going forward into uh, the 2020 season? It sounds like your your concussion is starting to heal and that maybe you're uh, stronger in in terms of making some solid decisions about how you want to shape your business. Oh, for sure. I think what's happened is... um, I mean, I never, my intention was never to become a florist or a flower farmer. And so that happened kind of as a process of getting to where I am now. And so I'm really excited. I'm excited about inviting more people to the farm for tours and for workshops. And I'm also excited about um, getting Bee Garden School off the ground. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about that. I think this is maybe where you connect more with non-professionals, right? Sure. And, and so during the tours last summer, when people were coming here for the um, flower music tour, many people, first of all, they didn't want to leave the gardens. And then many of them told me that they wanted to grow a bee garden like, like mine, but they didn't know how or they didn't think they could because they lived in the city. Um, many people just have balconies or rooftop decks. And so as people were, many people told me that, I realized that I could actually help them. I, I could help them learn how to grow flowers wherever they're living. And that's where Bee Garden School came from. And so how it's set up as an online course, right? It's an online course with eight modules. And um, basically, I'm teaching people how to grow bee and pollinator flowers wherever they're living, whether that's in the city, in an apartment, or whether they have a rooftop deck or a yard or a sidewalk basically anywhere flowers will grow. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole idea of online courses really fascinates me. I've taken a few and what I find is that that medium or that platform is so interesting because you have this body of knowledge. You can't possibly 
share it with everyone who's interested in learning from you, uh, like face-to-face, -face, first of all, the cost of traveling to Salt, Salt Spring Island might be prohibitive. So this is a way to transfer that, that knowledge um, and education in a very affordable way, basically to the universe. I mean, you could, you could have students from all around the world, right? That's correct, yeah. And so the flowers that I've chosen to teach people how to grow will grow, I think, just about anywhere. Mm -hmm. Are they mostly annuals? They're mostly annuals, yeah. We'll also cover perennials and shrubs in the course but they're mostly annuals. I think it's fascinating because um, just for someone who's listening uh, to this, who is a florist or a flower farmer, this model would still work for them, which is think about what unique point of view you have that you could package as an online course um, and price it competitively, I guess, and that takes some research. But then, um, I mean, you're doing eight modules, but there's no reason somebody couldn't do a shorter course um, or cut cut an eight-module eight course into two courses. I mean, there's, there seems to be a lot of ways you can slice this up and, and deliver it to hungry consumers. I think that um, every course is going to be unique to whoever's creating it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you have to um, do what you, you think feels right. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm not one to say, hey, I can't give a testimonial that it worked for me. I'm just fascinated... I guess I do a lot of writing about how do farmers monetize their farms? How do you sustain a living from your farm? And just hearing your story of having a show garden and having workshops and doing an online course and, you know, coming up with various quote unquote products, I hate to use that crass term, but like things that might be able to, you know, be marketed, that is ensuring the long-term livelihood of Alchemy Farm. I mean, you're you're creating ways to derive revenue from that land. That's correct. Yeah, I um, mean, we have to diversify. We have a very small um, base of of uh, residents here to sell flowers to. Yeah, that's true. And right. We're not the only flower farm. And getting flowers off of our island and shipping them to the wholesaler is very cost prohibitive with the ferry. Right. And so I, I think that I think anyone who's in any kind of business, but maybe especially flower farming or farming of any kind, how to diversify and um, to keep the farm kind of afloat. Yeah, yeah. It's very important to keep changing, to keep trying new things. Well, I want to make sure I share um, a link to the course for um, the listeners to see in our show notes, which I'll have at deborahprinzing.com. But is there a time-sensitive um, schedule on that? Are you launching that sometime soon? Um, we're going to be launching on March the 19th, the first day of spring. And then the, the course, the cart opens on that day. And mm -hmm. then the course will start uh, 10 days later. And it's an evergreen course, so people can um, register at any time. There's no, and, and then, then it's, you get a module every week. Mm -hmm. But if I don't find out about this till July and I want to sign up, it's, I can start at class, course one. And yep. Okay, Correct. got yep. it. That's yeah, or if you, live in, if you live in New Zealand or Australia and um, you want to grow flowers for your spring, then it, that will be our, our, um, our winter. Yeah. And so the course is open. Yeah. Um, and then what about your workshops? I know you've got a tab on your website with workshops and you've, uh, have several listed, um, what, what is the, where do you hold the workshops and, you know, what is the type of student who comes and studies with you? 
Okay, um, we have, I have a beautiful barn studio here. And so it's about 1,200 square feet. So it's an awesome space. To wow. Work. Yeah, that's yeah. big. And, and I have I have students of all different kinds. Um, I have young people, retired people. I have people who brought children with them, um, you know, over 10. Sure. Um, I've had people do family reunions, give workshops as gifts. Uh, some people come to learn how to... Um, how to design, like if your florists have come for workshops on mm-hmm. flower designing, garden style. So while you have some sta- some categories of workshops, you also can tailor the, the instruction to I, the student. Yeah, I, 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 the, the one-to-one workshops are tailored to whatever the student wants to learn. I and see for that. Some people, for some people, that's learning how to start a flower farm. Um, for some people, it's learning how to design a, um, a bridal bouquet in a garden style. Yeah. I love this one. Bring four or more friends to a custom flower workshop at Alchemy Farm. I mean, that sounds like a perfect weekend uh, getaway for uh, a bunch of friends. I love that. It's so much fun. Yeah. And then in the in the tourism world of, of um, Salt Spring Island, uh, there's there are inns and hotels where people uh, stay or I'm like, I'm wondering if that kind of the concierges all know about you and are sending people over to, to visit the farm. Um, yes, we do have some bed and breakfast are sending people here. Um, to, there are a lot of different places to stay here. We have inns, we have, um, cabins, cottages. Mm. A lot of places are available on Airbnb. Our local chamber of commerce has a section for accommodations so um, there, there's lots of ways for people to be tourists, but then they need to know what to do while they're on the island, and that's where you come in, right? That, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> there, it's a small island, and once you've walked around our downtown and gone to the Saturday market or the <laughs> market and gone to the cheese farm, then there's not much left to do. <laughs> Which some people are probably fine with, but I, I get a little antsy and I love to learn, uh, you know, a cor- take a course and visit visit a, a flower farm. So it, I know that appeals to a lot of people. We also we also have a lot of artists who live here and they also do workshops, many mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. What a great lifestyle. Wow. So if I'm going to ask you if you can share some photos of the farm and some of your beautiful floral arrangements. Um course people can see them on your website too but we'll share all those links Ingrid is there a way to have to get a few of those music clips to share I think that would be so fascinating to include those in the podcast what I can do Deborah is I can send you a link to a YouTube video and on there there's a short little clip of the garden um some of the flowers in the garden and there's sound files with those oh my gosh that do that. That sounds wonderful. It's I've never heard of this before, and I think it's fabulous that your husband gave you this little device as a gift, Perfect. and to, then to see what you did with it. It's just great. Thanks, Deborah. I'm I'm really lucky. Yeah. Well, and also like we we live in a sensory world, and we talk about flowers having a fragrance and a a visual beauty and a tactile beauty, but we don't often talk about their uh, audio beauty or you know the the sounds they emit. So. Uh, that's filling another one, checking another one of those sensory boxes. And, and as an environmental artist, I often talk to people about the energy around us and how everything it has a spirit and is alive. And so to be able to actually 
kind of prove that to people. Right. Really amazing. Oh, I bet children completely accept it at face value. Like no question. I, I love seeing the children come in with their devices or smartphones or tablets and they've got their headphones on in and they scan a QR code and suddenly they're sitting down in front of a flower and they're just listening. For me, that was um, one of the most beautiful parts of the project was seeing people use their, their devices to connect to nature. Yeah. I, yeah, right. It's like the anti, uh, it's the antidote to technology in a way. You're like, okay, fine. If you won't put your device down, I'm going to make you connect with nature. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, that's great. Well, I'm excited uh, to share your story uh, with everybody who's listening. And I know you're going to find a lot of um, fans and followers and maybe some visitors. I, I hope that people make oh, their way great. to Salt Spring Island. That'd be great. I'd love to greet them here. Wonderful. Welcome to Alchemy Farm. Hey, thank you so much, Ingrid. Is there anything I didn't ask you that we had meant to talk about? And so I apologize in advance. Uh, no, I think I think we've covered everything. Oh, beautiful story. Thank you so much. And um, I, as I did say, I promise to get myself up there in this year. I just ha- there's it, there's no excuse. I could, as you said, I could take a float plane in in less than an hour. So. Um, putting that on my bucket list for 2020. I can't, I can't wait to meet you, Deborah. <laughs> and I can't wait to welcome you to Alchemy Farm and show you the flowers so that you can actually hear the music of the flowers yourself. Oh my goodness. Okay. Thank you so much, Ingrid. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks so much for joining this week's inspiring conversation about Alchemy Farm flowers. Next up, our first interview with one of seven regional directors who are part of the ASCFG leadership. That's the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. We'll be recording conversations with all of these folks throughout the coming year. I hope to record as many as possible in person, but we'll have to see how and where my travels take me in 2020. Please meet return guest Erin McMullen of Raindrop Farm. Erin and her husband, Erin Gasky, are veteran flower farmers in Philomath, Oregon, near Corvallis. Raindrop Farm was established in 1999 on a one-acre plot in their backyard. They had every intention of growing vegetables and threw in a few dahlia tubers that Grandma gave them. Later, after a long search, Erin and Erin were finally able to purchase their own piece of paradise and move to the farm's current location at the base of Oregon's Mary Peak. Those dahlia tubers made them move with them, and before long, they had more flowers than potatoes and the beginning of a dream. Raindrop Farm grows flowers in a way that benefits not only flower-loving customers, but also their natural neighbors. This means avoiding using harsh chemicals or insecticides and opting for natural and organic solutions to any pest problems. This all supports their belief that the flowers that grace our tables should be as healthy as the food we feed our bodies. Erin is entering her second year as the West and Northwest Regional Director of ASCFG, representing members in Alaska, California, Hawaii, Idaho, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington. I'm happy to welcome her today. I'm so glad today we're going to start a new series for 2020, and it's having a chance to visit with all of the regional directors of ASCFG, Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. And um, we're just going to try to work our way through the year and through North America. And uh, I'm here in Oregon at the Pacific Northwest Cut Flower Growers Meetup, and one of the co-hosts is Erin McMullen of Raindrop Farm, and uh, you are the Northwest 
West Northwest Regional Director for right. ASCFG. The West and Northwest region. Got it. Tell me what is that region? So we are um, Oregon, Washington, California, Idaho, Alaska, and Hawaii. Mm. Shout out to my four members in Hawaii. Yeah, you said you just visited them. <laughs> yes, I did. Great. That great. is so cool. Um, well, uh, this is a great day, and uh, uh, we're going to talk about kind of what the, what's happening in the region. But in terms of raindrop farms, how did you? Uh, how long have you been a farmer? And I know you were a past guest of this podcast, so maybe I'll share that link so people can hear the full oh, story okay. with you and Aaron. But your your business has changed over the years. Our business has changed in that we've just we've honed in on our markets and grown. Uh, we have been growing flowers for eighteen years, farming for twenty one, and uh, we morphed ourselves from like a farmer's market kind of flower grower and doing a little bit of regional sales to we mostly sell through wholesale now uh, as members of the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market and the Oregon Flower Growers Association in Portland. Wow. So uh, those are our two biggest markets and we grow on uh, last year we were cultivating a seven hour seven acres of, of flowers and this year we'll push a little bit um, into probably closer to nine or 10. Wow. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot of flowers. And it's land you own and land you lease, we right? We own our own property that's at almost three acres. And then we lease um, on two separate plots about a mile from our property, mm -hmm. which is very convenient. Yes. You've yes. taken me there and it's beautiful yes. land. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And undercover, how much are you growing? Um, we have six hoop houses. Okay. So I think that uh, we have two field two long field hoop houses, 100-foot hoop houses, and some smaller, like, 72-foot hoops that are in our property, at our home property. Mm -hmm. So, What are those set aside for? Are those for particular crops? The ones at the house, we do a lot of sweet peas in them. We have some roses in them as kind of an experiment, but mostly they're kind of for our earlier season things. They're the ones that we really work for the shoulder season. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense because you your, your field crops are going to be later anyway, right? Yes, and we, we, while we are fortunate to have water rights on our leased land, we don't have year-round water because the ag pumps have to pull out. So uh, at the house, we do have year-round water, which mm -hmm. makes a huge difference and mm -hmm. allows us to grow farther mm -hmm. into those shoulders. Well, your, uh, your own journey to kind of moving from a farmer's market farmer to a more like B2B wholesale you know, supplier is kind of parallels what's happened with the whole cut flower scene in the Northwest. It's like, you you know, you kind of go from a, a toddler to a teenager and now like you're a young adult or something. Like your oh, business- Oh, thank you. Yeah, your business- <laughs> I'd love is, to be called a young adult. <laughs> I mean, the business has matured along with the awareness of flowers yes. and that sort of thing. So uh, when you decided to start the um, this cut flower growers meetup, um, well, you're one of, you were one of the original people to start that, right? I, I was um, asked to help with Elizabeth from yes. Rose Hill, Elizabeth Bryant. Um, I was asked to help the first year, which was six. This is our sixth year. Yeah. So that first year, we were at a different location uh, at our table cooperative. And that was a great that was a great year. It was fledgling. It was very grassroots. Um, and that there and there weren't that many growers. And we've been able to kind of ride the tide as more flower farmers become active. Uh, and we've grown every year since. And so yeah. we're now at a beautiful venue uh, that can hold a lot more of us because that's necessary. Yeah. How many people are here today? Uh, we have just under 100 today. Wow. Wow. Um, and are many, are many of them new members to ASCFG or like, do you have kind of, have you kind of done an analysis of who, who oh, the membership I, is? I need to do that, don't I? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we definitely have a percentage of our members here today that are ASCFG members mm -hmm. um, that are joining us today. And then we have a lot of people who are 
very new. And there's and kind of just exploring. Just exploring or have been growing for a few years. Uh, and so this is a great way for them to kind of communicate with other growers, make those relationships happen and, and hone their skills. I feel like also um, it's farming can be so isolating and maybe mm, just having a absolutely. chance to meet together and share a meal together is absolutely. important. Yeah, I, I think that that's well exemplified by the fact that I talked to almost, I mean, I talked to dozens of people this morning who said that they were up way too late last night because they were so excited to be in a room with other people who understood the the joy and the angst of flower farming. Oh, because there was like an informal uh, potluck there, or meetup or yes, something. Yeah, and a lot of people were at the OSU Small Farms Conference yesterday. So yeah. they kind of started the day off with farming there and then moved into the evening. And then I know that my my husband, for one, was up way too late. <laughs> He's allowed. He's, yeah. He's functioning well today, regardless. Erin, you, you mentioned the Oregon Small Farms Conference. That mm-hmm. kind of, that's a long-established yeah. event that is put on by Oregon State University. Yes. And we're in Corvallis, which is where that university is. Mm-hmm. It's pretty close to your farm, right? Yes. In fact, I'm an OSU alum, so okay. go Beavs. Okay. Um, and it is. And they've been really, really accommodating, and they've been asking us to be involved for years. And so we have developed a cut flower track that runs with the OSU Small Farms Conference. It's farmers from every track of farming. Um, but we do have a cut flower track there, which is really exciting. And we see a, a very large turnout there, which is also really neat. Yeah, but it's in a way it's cool because that is truly geared towards small farming. And wouldn't you say that more than 50% of the content is for food growers? I would say that it has, yes, been for it's in all sorts of food, right? There's always a, there's lots of vegetables, of course, but um, often they do like a protein Oh, I see. So farm, like, pasture-raised meats, Uh mm -hmm. um, and then they do grains and other kinds of foods. But, yeah, very very food-oriented, which is generally how our ag system is and how our agricultural colleges are. But the fact that they saw a need for cut flowers is really exciting, and it's been a a really positive partnership. It's been um, really, I think, exciting to see all of agriculture Mm -hmm. wake up and realize that there's money to be made in yeah. growing flowers, and it's a, it's a you know a, a viable op- opportunity for anyone who wants a, a farm-based home business. Sure, um, right, yeah, and there is a huge market for it, and um, you know we're just we're just kind of scratching the surface of getting that local flower word out and getting people to be excited about it. But mm-hmm. there's we have a lot more work to do, mm-hmm. but there's a huge market, and mm-hmm. it's exciting to see people delve into it. I feel like there's a point of entry for people wherever they want to um, plug in because they obviously, some people maybe can't uh, justify going to a national meeting, but then there's uh, online forums on yes. Facebook, and yeah. there's you know regional meetings, and ASCFG is, is trying to provide a way for people in this region, which is a lot of states, yep. to plug in. You can't touch everybody, you, right. you as one individual. No, right. I know. I, I really enjoy talking to, to the, my, the people who are part of the, the North and Northwest. I enjoy talking to all of the people. But yeah. Um, yeah, there are a couple of ways that I think it's there. As an ASCFG board, I think at least the, the board meetings I've been involved with, we have been making a concerted effort. We want to be able to go out to the whole country, but it is hard to facilitate meetings everywhere. Right. Um, and one of the one of the greatest resources that I only just recently started using are the online um, pre-records from mm-hmm. the conferences. So in mm. past conferences, if you're an ASCFG member, you can go on and you can watch the videos and get the slideshows from a whole bunch Years. of those conferences. Yeah, wow, um, which was great for me. I just gave a talk on cut flower profitability yesterday at the OSU Small Farms Conference and. 
when I was in Denver this last spring at a board meeting, I wasn't able to go to the uh, Diane Supervati's talk on it, but I was able to go right on there and pull up her slideshow and kind of do a little bit of research. And it was huh. really nice to be able to sit in my in my living room and get that knowledge and know that the quality is high and that I'm learning from really experienced growers. That's an amazing member perk. Mm -hmm. It's a really good Obviously one. not to discourage people from attending a conference, but no, I, they do have access to that yeah. content. And oftentimes when you're at a conference, you have to make a hard decision between one track or another track, or maybe you have to step out for a minute, or maybe there are slides that you just really, really need to go back and focus on. Uh, or maybe somebody told a great joke that you want to go back and hear again. <laughs> so there's all sorts of reasons to do it, even yeah. if you're at the conference, but yeah. then the added bonus is that if you can't make it it's available. Well, we were talking about the fact that as a regional director for ASCFG, your column, like all your fellow directors' columns, show up in the Cutflower Quarterly. Mm -hmm. um, you, what do you, what do you like to write about? I mean, you have to become like that's a pressure to have that deadline it four a, times a it year. It is a pressure to have the deadline. Yeah, um, it's. I'm only I'm only a year in, so okay. I'm kind of honing what I want to write about. Uh, You're getting was, your voice. I'm getting my voice. <laughs> I used to love writing, so yeah. I'm excited to have that opportunity to write about something that I'm pretty passionate about. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I love writing about is what I'm seeing around my region, right? That makes sense that that would sure. be what I should write about. Um, and so with this, with the Pacific Northwest group, uh, that'll be in my, you know, that's in my wheelhouse. I know yeah. about that. Uh, but also things like, projects that are happening within our region. Mm -hmm. um, the Washington State Department of Ag project that we were talking about is a grant-funded project that we were super excited to hear about. Uh, and I'm I'm thrilled to have that happening in my region. Yeah, And um, you know that members all across the continent are going to want to hear about that because maybe right. there's a takeaway for their region. Right, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, hearing about other... I mean, I think it's important for all of us as farmers to hear about how other people are surviving and thriving in our, our industry. So... Mm -hmm. I would encourage anyone who's listening to this who is in my region to reach out to me and tell me what you're doing because I want to hear and I want to know and I want to share it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you seem to be very much uh, it, it, like plugged into wanting to take the temperature of people's uh, you know, experiences. Like when you asked me to speak here, I remember the first thing you referred to was the survey from last year's mm -hmm. meetup and what people were asking for. Like you're kind of you know, synthesizing all of that and trying to figure yeah. out the programming for the, for 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's a fun project. It's a fun uh, little puzzle to try to solve. And it's, it, it is, a cha it is challenging the same way that I think that any organization yeah. and the ASCFG is no different where there are members who are very, very new and there are members who are very, very experienced. And as a membership and as an organization, we need to be able to serve all of those people. Yeah. And it's, it is, it is a challenge, but it's a really important challenge to, to meet and step up to. Well, I, yeah, and I think that that's what you've done here is like even um, just having a diversity of presentations that are from basically the growing side to the marketing side to the design side, yeah. I think that uh, no one's going to leave disappointed. You know? No, and I think that there's also a lot that all of us can learn from the parts, even the parts that we don't necessarily feel a lot of connection to. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, that's, you know, I I love the design side, but it's not something that I'm proficient in. It's not something that I have a lot of skill or a lot of really time to, to work with. But every time I listen to somebody present on design, I get tidbits and little nuggets of things that I can use on my farm and I can use in my growing. To It helps to inform my decisions. Yeah, because that's farm. your ultimate, ultimate customer, exactly. right? So it's exciting to see those kind of presenters too. So what are you excited about that you're growing in 2020? Oh, that's, 
<laughs> can you tell us? Um, what can I tell you? Uh, what do I? What well, you refer to roses. I know you've been really expanding yeah, your roses, I right? Am, I am putting in more roses. I'm excited about those. Um, we also just part of our expansion this year is that we are finally putting in a section of woodies, which we, you know, having been farming for so long. You should have done. Yes, I would. <laughs> yeah. What I wouldn't give to tell myself even five years ago: go and plant that whole entire thing in woodies. Um, so that's a lesson learned, but we're going to go ahead and do that this year. So that's exciting to, wow. to do. I'm, wow. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to the fact that those are more perennialized crops, so there won't be quite as much labor in the in the long term. And that's on land you own. Um, that is on land that we are leasing, oh, but with wow. an option to buy. Oh, okay. So you're willing to take that risk? Yes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That book, that's good foreshadowing. I know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. But it is it is with a, our one of our. Leases, leasers, lessers, the landowners, pe- the people who the people who <laughs> rent to you, yeah, <laughs> um, who we currently rent from uh-huh. and or lease land from, and they're very supportive and they very much want to see us move into that property when they move off. So you've referred to uh, kind of investing in the future with mm-hmm. Woody's, and also it, it seems like investing in a longer um, period of time to earn a living by yes. doing these shoulder season crops or is that the right term like early and late right yeah Yeah. and so where um now that you are selling primarily wholesale are you doing the farmer's market anymore we do still do the farmer's market why do you do that um because i like to talk to people yeah Uh, that's that's why it's your personality it's yeah it's definitely my connection to my community right it's not i would i would I mean, 100% say it's probably our least profitable avenue of sales, but it is the most, uh, it's the most exposure that we get with the public. Yeah. And so it's really the only place where we are educating people where we're talking to through the, the merits of local flowers. That's true. Yeah. It's really. It's like your, your billboard. It is. Yeah. And that's awesome. It's the only place where we're really face forward with the, the public and it's, it's a fun place to be. Is this where you're teaching your children how to make change and that sort of yes, thing? Yes, absolutely. I take my kids to market and my older son is in charge of change. He loves that. That's his favorite job. Um, yeah. And then, but, but as an, as an added bonus, they've both become quite proficient in making bouquets and it's, uh, they take quite a bit of pride in having people, you know, compliment them on their flower skills, yeah. Yeah. which is fun to That's see. That's not a bad skill to teach a young adolescent boy. No. They're both very good. Too. That's very yeah. cool, Aaron. I know you don't have a lot a lot of time right now because we're racing out to a break. But um, I'm so grateful that you're part of ASCFG as a leader now. It just gives me a chance to, um, you know, see that you're working hard for the organization and for the membership because you're in the same exact role that the members are in, trying to make oh, a living absolutely. as a farmer. A hundred percent. I definitely feel like I have. A, a very unique platform to be able to be a voice for my peers. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We won't tell everybody your phone number to put you on speed dial because that would be, <laughs> you get nothing done. But there's but my you, email for sure. Yeah. Yeah. My, my email is just raindropfarms at peak.org. Um, and okay. I'm, I'm happy to get emails from my members. I love, I love talking to people that way. Well, I know that we'll be seeing each other more across the course of this year. And ho- hopefully all, but he, all of our energy is focused on getting to Orlando in the fall for yeah. the national for yeah. the, the annual mean, meeting i guess yeah the na- i think this one is a national conference yeah meeting. yeah i'm excited for that my kids are excited for that there's a water park apparently. is it They're in very november <laughs> it's november okay yes. okay good well the then second. if people are listening to this and they they hear your voice and they 
get to know a little bit about Erin uh, McMullen of Raindrop Farm. Maybe you'll get to meet her in person there, yeah, and there. maybe we'll share some new photos of your farm. I haven't oh, posted yeah. any lately. Oh, yeah. I have some great shots. It's mostly my kids. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anything else you want me to mention that we didn't uh, ask you about? Oh, gosh. I know you're coming off of a national board meeting, and then you went right to Oregon Small Farms Conference and came right to... Yeah, the, my brain is a little mushy. That's okay. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just really, I'm really thrilled and optimistic about the future for our, for our flower farming community and our industry. And so, um, I'm, again, I'm very grateful for you Aww. doing these. And I'm also, I'm very grateful for the ASCFG for, and from the people who voted me in. Um, yeah. That seems, uh, I'm really excited for the opportunity. Good. You are, what, like starting your second year of your first term? Yeah. And what is it? Is it a two-year term? That's a great question. <laughs> okay, to be continued. We'll oh. figure that out. <laughs> thank you so much. Of course, I'm thank glad you. I'm to do this. Thanks so much for joining today's episode featuring Ingrid Koivukangas of Alchemy Farm Flowers and Erin McMullen of Raindrop Farm, two Slow Flowers members who are making their livelihoods and living their lives among cut flowers. Before we wrap up, I want to announce the winner of last week's book giveaway. Last week, you heard from Jennifer Jewell, author of the new book, The Earth in Her Hands, 75 Extraordinary Women Working in the World of Plants. I'm so honored to be included in this book. And last week, you heard me as part of Jennifer's panel at the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival, where I appeared with two other women featured in its pages, in the book's pages, Kristen Giel and Lorene Edwards Forkner. Well, our book giveaway comes thanks to Jennifer's publisher, Timber Press. Last week, we asked listeners to post a comment about an extraordinary woman who influenced their plant journey. Thank you to all who took the time to comment on our show notes at DebraPrinzing.com and also on Instagram, MySlowFlowers. In a random drawing last Sunday, March 8th, I selected the winner, Catherine McCord, who posted this comment. She highlighted her friend Shelly, who can be found on Instagram at Artemisia and Rue. And this is what she said. Shelly is an incredible mentor, herbalist, teacher, and friend. She has introduced me to many plants, spiritually and medicinally. My life is forever changed as I share this knowledge on how plants can be our emotional, spiritual, and nourishing allies. Well, congratulations, Catherine. Look for that copy of The Earth in Her Hands coming to you soon. Our next sponsor thank you today goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. The Slow Flower Summit takes place in just four months, and you're invited to join the uplifting experience that has been called a floral mind melt. Our first two days will be hosted at Filoli, the beautiful historic garden and estate in Woodside, California, just outside the San Francisco Bay Area, where we will gather on days one and two, June 28th and 29th. On day three, June 30th, we will enjoy a special tour of Farm Girl Flowers headquarters in San Francisco, hosted by our friend and past Slow Flower Summit keynote speaker, Christina Stemble. All in all, it will be a special and exclusive experience, and I can't wait for you to join us. 
Many of you have been asking about lodging, and I'm happy to announce that our event manager, Karen Thornton, has just posted details about room blocks under the Travel and Accommodations tab at slowflowerssummit.com. We've also included details about a special, limited, pre-summit opportunity that's just been announced. Our co-host, Teresa Sabankaya of Bonnie Dune Garden Company in Santa Cruz and her husband, Nezi Sabankaya, are throwing a speaker dinner in their private gardens in the Santa Cruz Mountains. The dinner will take place on Saturday evening, June 27th, the night before the summit begins, and it is separately priced. The seating is limited, so if you're interested, follow the link at the Summit website, slowflowersummit.com. I'll also include it in today's show notes at deborahprincing.com. It promises to be an intimate evening for anyone who travels to the area early and wants to connect with fellow attendees and speakers. Thank you, Teresa and Nezi, for creating this lovely opportunity. I can't wait to return to your garden. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 586,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thank you goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes or Spotify and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.